Hello, and welcome to the Run the Day podcast. I'm your host, Nick Simmons. With me, as always, is Camel LaPray. Say hi, Cam. Hey, guys. Cam, how are you doing today? Doing great. This interview is so freaking awesome. This might be one of, I mean, maybe my favorite <laughs> one to date. We are interviewing Joel Einhorn today. Joel's an athlete, a cyclist, and he's a, an entrepreneur. Maybe this is why I like it so much. He's an athletepreneur. He's right? kind of like you, right? A little bit, but <laughs> this guy is so accomplished. You know, he's founded a company called HANA, which we'll get to a bit more in the episode. But some exciting news for you listeners as you learn about HANA. RunGum and HANA are doing a giveaway. And you can head to rungum.com slash HANA, that's H-A-N-A-H, to enter for three months of Run Gum and Hana One. And when you hear about this product, man, you're going to want to try it. The website is Hana Life if you're listening right now and you want to learn more. But Joel, you know, he just has such a cool story. What do you think listening to this yeah. interview? Wow, I'm just so blown away. And what you guys are going to hear is a huge tragedy that happened in his life. He went through almost a life-ending accident, but he took that life-ending accident and used it for good and created this product that's now helping people all over the world, which is just incredible. Yeah, and we always say that RunGum was a product born of necessity. You know, mm-hmm. I created it to help me as I was training, competing around the world for Team USA. And if there's ever a product that was born out of necessity, it's HANA, right? Yeah, so here's a guy sure. struggling with a brain injury, struggling with a broken body. And Western medicine, while it has patched him back up, is failing to get him back to the place that he was at. Yep. So he turns to Eastern medicine and finds some of these you know, he talks about one medicinal herb that's a 2,500-year-old recipe, you know? Can you, can you believe that? And he finds that these herbs and supplements and this new way of life is, is putting his brain back together mm-hmm. and also giving him the performance-enhancing effect that he was looking for, you know, as he started to get back into cycling. He's an incredible guy with an incredible story. I think you guys are really going to like this one. So without further ado, here is Joel Einhorn. All right, here he is calling in from Southern California. It's Joel Einhorn. Joel, how are you doing? I'm great, Nick. Good to hear you. And you're in Venice, right? Yeah, beautiful a- Venice. After a round-the-world trip is what you were telling me. Yeah, just got back. I, I just, just arrived back from Bhutan where we do work with Hana, but there's also a, a big bike race there, uh, 268 kilometers, about 170 miles, 20,000 feet of climbing, like really, really intense mountain bike race. And before that, I was in Europe training for it. Wow. And what, what part of Europe? Czech Republic. Okay. Beautiful area. Is, yeah. I lived there for off and on for 18 years and I pretty much know like all the roots, uh, like the back of my hand. I also know like all the sensations that I feel. So it's a good place for me to kind of go and get uh, into the monk life and, and oh, just yeah. train and get, get prepared. We for... called it cave mode when I was training. You go into your cave totally. and you train and then you uh, emerge a su- few months later, you know, superhuman. But yeah, uh, I really, exactly. I mean, I'm so excited to talk to you as a fellow entrepreneur and an athlete. I really want to dig into both sides of your life, but I think for our listeners, we need to know where you came from. You know, tell us about growing up, where you grew up, and how you got into athletics, and what some of your dreams and aspirations were when you were young. Well, I'm from, I'm definitely kind of the odd one in my family a little bit. I'm from the south side of Chicago, a really beautiful suburb called Crete. Yeah, I grew up there, started playing baseball as soon as I could walk, started riding a bike as soon as I could walk, and then got like, I was just really, really heavily into sports. I found skateboarding that really took over my life for a bit. I kind of got rid of the baseball. I, I was really small and I had skipped a grade as, as a young person. And so it just wasn't really feasible for me to be taking, you know, 95 mile an hour fastballs when I was 12 years old. So kind of transitioned out of that skateboarding. And then I found golf and got heavily into that. Then went to college, University of Illinois. And I left the University of Illinois in the middle of my junior year and studied abroad in Vienna. 
just really fell in love with Europe. And, and I really wanted to get to the mountains were definitely calling me from a young age. But where I lived, like the biggest mountain was like the garbage dump, which was about 150 <laughs> feet. <laughs> so um, we made that as dangerous as possible in the winter. And, you know, skateboarding, I think kind of like I, I really had my eye on snowboarding. And this was like in 96 when I moved to Vienna. And so I had gone to the mountains immediately and I was studying in Vienna and snowboarding a lot just really loving the Austrian Alps. And so I, I basically figured out a way to finish my university in Vienna and then uh, worked on my master's degree there in Vienna. And this was like 96, 97. So it was a pretty prime time for working in equities, especially, you know, there was the whole tech thing happening in the state. And then there was like the Eastern European emerging markets happening. So it was a pretty perfect place to be. Uh, got a job right out of school. Uh, worked in Vienna for six months, and then they, they sent me off to Czech Republic. So I, I worked there for about 18 months, really hard, and doing stuff that I, you know, working in an office wasn't really my cup of tea, but <laughs> I ended up doing pretty well. And, and then as soon as I was able to cash out with a little bit of a buffer, I, I did that and started investing into equities as well as companies that I could get involved with. And then I also... I basically said to myself, you know, I want to do sport like half the time and, and then work half the time. And this was kind of like when the Nokia communicator was just coming out. So you could definitely work from abroad mm-hmm. or, you know, not in an office. So I just kind of started doing that. And I remember like when Tim Ferriss's four hour work week book came out, oh, somebody handed book. it to me in, yeah. in Austria. He wrote that for like, you, hey. basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. Yeah. So we were, you know, doing a, just getting a lot of work done on the road and doing a lot of sport and had a bunch of investments, things like that. Uh, I, then I got into, so I was snowboarding heavily in the summertime to prep for the snowboard season. I started getting into cycling, which then led into triathlon. Yeah. It's funny. If, so, you, if you love the mountains, they kind of just call to you in any way you can get up and down them. I know skiers that bike and snowboard and hike and climb. And when the mountains speak to you, you do whatever you can to get up into, to go up and down them. So you're out there and you're exploring the Alps and, and, you know, you've got this incredible life, the lifestyle that I think a lot of our listeners aspire to have one day, that perfect work-play balance. Are you finding that road bike and, and getting really into that scene out there at this point? Yeah. So my cycling mentor was my age. So I'm 42 right now. And, you know, it was really interesting because he's from Czech Republic. And a lot of those guys were plucked out of school when they were like nine or 10. And this was like during communism. So they would take them and then they would test their blood next to like a superhuman young athlete. And if they kind of passed the test and then they put them on the road and if they passed all those tests and they would just get, you know, they'd take them out of school, put them into a cycling or a sports specific program. And so my cycling mentor was a Czech guy and he kind of showed me the ropes and I just got really into the whole culture. And I'm definitely, you know, when I get into a sport, I love like as, for example, like with golf, I was like super into like all the old stories of like from Payne Stewart, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Ben Hogan, just getting into like the, I've always been really into like the biographical stories or autobiographical stories of people who were, you know, high achievers and just figuring out kind of like what they did to get to the places that they were. So cycling was kind of a good transition into that and just really fell in love with that. And I mean, if you've ever ridden a road bike or a mountain bike in Europe, it's probably one of the better places on the planet to do that. So that just kind of like really enthralled me. And and then, you know, being around those guys and, and realizing how ridiculously strong they are, even when you're like a you know, <laughs> tip-top athlete, really just kind of like, it's very humbling 
And it's also very inspiring. So that definitely had my interest. So I did that. And then that kind of transitioned into, wow, Ironman. I had heard about that distance. And I just put my my uh, will toward it and set a goal and, and then eventually started doing that. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, you're hanging out with mountain goats in the Alps, man. It's something I've always aspired to do. And you're right. Some of those athletes are, are just absolutely specimens. But I think it was 2008 as you're training for an Ironman that you actually had a, a pretty gnarly accident, didn't you? Yeah. So it was basically like end of the season and we were all like feeling really good. And, you know, like in Europe, you kind of have to take those last kind of Indian summer days, you know, when you get them. And it was a late afternoon and I was rushing around, which is definitely a good lesson that I always take with me now is like, I always kind of set the intention of like being safe when I go out because I kind of had lost that, you know, and I was rushing around and I was going to meet my buddies up in the mountains outside of Prague and just a freak, absolute freak accident. Some people walked in front of me in a place where that never usually happens. And I was like standing up on the pedals and going about 40, 45 kilometers an hour. And just like freak accident, I veered to the left, the bike got caught in a rut, like a crack and the bike basically stopped. And I went straight over the bars with like, there was zero reaction time. I mean, it was pretty immediate and hit my head and my head went first into the pavement. So without a helmet, I'm probably dead. Mm -hmm. And then the tops of my hands actually, because I was still holding onto the bike and I was clipped in. Uh, shoulder took a brunt of all the pressure and my collarbone, my left collarbone dislocated at the AC joint. So that's like on the shoulder. Yeah. And that bone was sticking out of my back. So I had oh a, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a horrible uh, accident. Yeah. Just absolute nightmare. It was funny. I got up and you know, that, that shock, I'm sure you, you've crashed before you, you go through that little shock and you have adrenaline. And I instantly, like, I just tried to like push it back in <laughs> figuring that if I got it back, yeah, there, just pop it back into place. Right. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. <laughs> and I kind of like then went under the skin and I didn't want to get into an ambulance. I was about 10 K from Prague. I rode back, you know, I had this like old school Jersey on. I, I didn't want them to like cut it off. So I kind of <laughs> Jersey off and I yeah. popped it. I was so like shaking and I guess this wasn't the best thing to do, but I popped open a bottle of wine and pretty much chugged it. And <laughs> <laughs> just drink it away. The, yeah. <laughs> walked to the hospital and, and I was there for a week. You know, I had a severe infection risk. They had these like crazy iodine plugs they were putting into my back. And then they had to put the collarbone back after the swelling went down. And they put these like crazy wires in there. And, and yeah, then they released me from the hospital about a week later. And, you know, while I was in there, they were like serving me this food. And, you know, I say God bless Western medicine and, and the hospitals for what they do. But like it really stops right at the point of like, all right, your surgery's done. Yeah. You know, you got come back in, in one month and then they serve you, you know, like it was like the worst food possible process, you know, like enriched bread, ham, cheese, but like really bad stuff. And it just didn't really seem right. I was pretty in tune with my body and, you know, I was just like, wow. And then I had a, a head injury on top of that, which the doctors weren't really, I remember like telling them, I'm like, Hey man, like I can't even sit up. I'm so dizzy. I'm like seeing double. And they were like, well, I think you should focus on your shoulder and stuff like that. So I just wasn't really getting any feedback there. And I remember going home and not being able to close my eyes to sleep for like a couple of days. So it was kind of like living in a, uh, like a living hell. Oh, sounds horrible. You know? Yeah. So I was kind of, there I was like sitting there going, all right, my life could be over as I know it. Yeah. And it was a really tough spot to be in. 
So you're, you're kind of patched back together. Thanks to the doctors out there. What is your mindset? I mean, you're kind of walking through this fog and I know you want to continue living this incredible lifestyle you've created for yourself. Are you speaking with specialists and working to get your brain right and your body back together? Well, they're, you know, in the Czech Republic, they have a very good social medicine system, but I think that with that comes a couple of tricky things, you know, like I went to the doctor and I'm like, you know, I went back and I'm like, Hey man, like, I'm not right. I can't close my eyes. When I close my eyes, I'm spinning like a slot machine. And, and there was like really nothing they could do about it. So I was like doing as much research into it, but I was in a really, really dark place because I'm looking at what could potentially be like the end of my life as I know it. So I kind of made a deal with the man in the sky or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, it basically was like, if I can come back and, and just even just have a normal life, I'll do whatever it takes. And, and I had done this like CEO training course with a guy, like a very cool guy that was like into like yoga and meditation. And I remembered this meditation that he had given me, which was that you can always call in like a teacher or a guide, you know, if you have good intentions. And I, I was really like sort of like my last hope for like finding something. So I did this meditation and I kid you not, like I went to this Indian restaurant, like a traditional Indian where they make like one big thing of food and it was right around the corner from my place. And I was eating there like once a day, like really healthy Indian. And I went in there and I'm like, these guys knew me and they were like, Oh man, what happened to you? I was like all cut up and <laughs> I had a lot of like scrapes and stuff. And my arm was pinned up and, and I was like, man, you know, like I'm in a, bad place. Like I kind of feel like I need like some sort of Eastern or traditional doctor. And he's like, Oh, you should meet Dr. George essay. Who's sitting over in the corner there, like this old Indian man. And yeah, that was the beginning of the relationship with him. And he brought me into his office the next day and did like all the Ayurvedic uh, sort of tests and on me. And he didn't even ask me what happened. He was like, you're dizzy. And I'm like, yep. And so he put me on a gamut of like a diet a specific diet and then, you know, a bunch of different herbal remedies and teas and this like medicated ghee and all of this stuff. And basically, you know, from that point, like within like two or three days, like I was able to sleep. Just that and quickly, huh? Yeah, it was wow. that quickly. He was, he was like, you know, your body has had a traumatic incident. And what happens is like, I'm sure you've seen what happens like to the brain when you have a concussion. It's the brain is like a, a jelly type of consistency. And when you get hit, you know, you can even get a concussion like in waves, you know, it's just the body being jarred and the brain kind of like bouncing back and forth. And what it does is it, it affects a lot of the fluids and the membranes in there. And it's not only like the brain, it's like the whole body can get that sort of like jolt. And he just said, you know, he was really big on like, I was eating a lot of sardines. So I was eating like five or six cans of sardines a day in terms of diet and then mm. a, a lot of food. He was telling me that the body, when the body's trying to repair this, this issue, it's like leaching from different places in the body. So you need to make sure that you're feeding it. I was eating like 7,000 calories a day Wow! on top of that really healthy food, like dal and, and vegetables and salads and olive oil. And, and then, a, you know, a bunch of other supplements. So it really brought me back together and and then I healed within two and a half months, two and a half months from the day of the injury, my body started like spitting out the wires that were holding my collarbone in place. And so I had to go to the hospital and, you know, they were like, all right, another infection risk. They had to take them out. And after the stitches healed, I started going back into the pool and, you know, I knew my underwater breath hold and swimming underwater, like, you know, 50, 70 meters with only one breath. I knew all those times pretty well. So remember getting back in the water and doing like some basic stuff to get the wings stretched out. And, and I was like, wow, I feel like I have like more 
oxygen, hmm. you know? And, so, and then I started like taking all these, like, cause he had given me a big batch of like all the different herbs and teas that I was to take. And I started, you know, all these weird names that I had no idea what they <laughs> were. And then I started researching them on, you know, online. And, and I saw that not only were they good for the healing process, but they were also good for like memory focus cardiovascular health, et cetera, et cetera. So that really was kind of the beginning of this blossom into like understanding different ways in which the body can react to different things. It just really got me interested. And I went to the doctor and I was like, can I take this stuff every day? And he was like, yes, but where are you going to get this? You know, and I was like, well, why does that matter? And he was (laughs) like, well, it's very important. You know, the purity of the ingredients, knowing where they come from is as important or, you know, it's not more important than even, you know, like a placebo or you have to know where they're coming from. So that just really kind of got my obsessive mind working, you know, and next thing you know, I'm like going to India to find like specific ashwagandha powder and things like that. So that was kind of like the turning point of a huge turning point in my life. I mean, with, you know, without that accident and without that chance meeting i'm I'm not sitting here talking to you so yeah so things are kind of all coming together you've studied equities you've been mentored by ceos you've been an athlete and now you're experiencing performance enhancing effects of some of these supplements is your mind just saying to yourself you know i'm doing this for myself but there's so many people out there that can benefit from the hard work that i'm putting in now to source these very rare and very potent supplements Well, I wasn't really thinking of it as a business thing. I was just, at that time, I was doing some work in the film business, working in production. I was also doing like stunt stand-in work, which was quite fun. I worked for like Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Johnny Depp. Is there anything you haven't done, Joel? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it was kind of just like one of my friends had a production company and, you know, Tom Cruise, I was actually just talking a crazy story. Tom Cruise travels with a physio who's one of the best in the world. And this was like eight, seven years ago, I think, when he shot Ghost Protocol in mm-hmm. Prague. And I had met his physio. And just this morning, I went and worked out with this guy who I'd met at a, at a lunch party the other day. And we realized that that was the guy that was working on the set oh, wow. of that film, which was quite crazy. But yeah, I was just doing a lot of different odd jobs around the film industry. And I was you know, doing really well. So I, I wasn't really thinking of turning this into like a company, it was more of like, you know, I'm doing triathlon, I'm, I'm riding my bike and I'm, you know, I have other work that I'm doing. I was just more interested in using this stuff for myself. And like, even my friends were like, dude, you're crazy. Like what <laughs> is stuff that you're eating? And yeah. And it, it wasn't until actually about four or five years ago, my business partner now, J.R. Smith, who lives in Prague, American guy, he had just taken a company public and you know, he kind of just looked at me one day and I was like sharing some of the stuff with him. And he's like, man, like, I don't know, like what all this other stuff is that you're doing, but this is your calling. I don't know if you see it or not, but Mm -hmm. this is what you do best. And so he was kind of like the person that really sort of inspired me to like, you know, to make that leap and to really go all in on, on this. All right, we'll be right back for the conclusion of this interview. But first, a word from our sponsor. Special thank you to RunGum. RunGum is an energy gum designed to help people make the most of their busy days. Created by a two-time Olympian, RunGum provides an immediate boost in energy and focus when you need it most. Helping people run the day since 2014. Learn more and start your trial at RunGum.com. 
bringing a product to market, it's not easy. You can have the greatest product in the world. And it sounds like you are out there sourcing the greatest product. But when you come and try to put that together and bring it to market, there are a hundred things that you'll you'll forget that you have to do. So tell us a little bit about bringing Hana to market. What was your first product or products? And what were some of those obstacles in the, in the first few days, the first few weeks that you had to avoid? So there's a, our first product is called Hana One, but at that time it had no name. It was just this like 30 herbs in a base of honey, ghee, and sesame oil, and raw sugar cane, which is the way that they deliver herbs in like Ayurvedic hospitals, because that's the way that it's most uh, bioavailable and fully absorbable by the body. So it's, kind of, it's basically a medicine. We created a mix that addressed sort of the modern variables that I don't think are being addressed. You know, like, for example, we're exposed to a lot of radiation. Our immune systems are beaten down, a lot of stress, and then a lot of like training and things like that. So I kind of plugged in these variables with the doctor. We worked on a formulation for a couple of years, and then we came up with this, you know, what is now HANA 1. It's awesome. So yeah. So cool. Yeah. And did you go to market uh, direct to consumer? Was this an Amazon product? Was it brick and mortar? Well, you know, so this is now, now like five years ago in Prague. So we did like a whole brand building exercise. But just in terms of the product, I was sitting in Prague and we knew that we were going to launch it in the States. And, you know, so basically I'm starting from scratch. And, you know, to take a, an herbal black tar looking product from <laughs> India to the States, I don't think there's a more difficult product to bring to market. And so, you know, I didn't have a couple hundred thousand dollars you know, to invest into like a, a, you know, there are companies that will help you go through all of this, but you can also like reverse engineer and, you know, talk to the right people and get people excited about it and get them to sort of like, you know, clue you into some of the tips and tricks of how to do it. So I actually, one of our freight forwarding company, I found a company in San Francisco that was actually, they, they got super excited about this. And they helped me, you know, with a couple of other people, like deconstruct how to bring these products in through uh, customs. And, you know, there's, you know, the FDA, how to deal with the FDA. I did find one consultant that helped us with labeling and, you know, the, all the grass stuff. Grass is generally regarded as safe. You have to make sure that all of your ingredients are above board. And, and then you just have to make sure that you're FDA compliant. And it's a, definitely a very tricky and complex maze that you have to go through. But I was like super excited and, and super stoked to figure all that stuff out. And, and then so we, we basically got it. To, we brought it to the States in these big jugs. <laughs> and then I started just bottling it there by hand. Wow. It's got a honey-like consistency. So we, we used a lot of the stuff from honey manufacturers. And mm-hmm. started, I bottled like, you know, the first thousand jars by hand. And then we found actually a company that deals strictly with honey in California to do the bottling and all the fulfillment for us. And, and yeah, we started direct to consumer. We actually started giving it away at first. And we had a, a lot of very brilliant minds that, that, you know, got together and, you know, helped to seed it out to like 500 of the right people. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had a really specific strategy on doing that. And then we launched our website and started selling it. Wow. Online. That's amazing. The website is Hana Life, and I'm looking at it now, and I've actually had a chance to try a few of your products. It is incredible. First of all, huge congrats on your packaging. Kind of a packaging geek, and your packaging is so <laughs> clean and so awesome. sleek. Thank you. It's really beautiful. And then you actually start trying this stuff, and it's a unique flavor, but you can taste the honey. You can taste some of these spices, the cinnamon, the licorice, and I really got to appreciate the taste and enjoy it. And of course, you know the way your body feels, and I think you recommend that people try it for at least two weeks is the product that I was using. And sure enough, I mean, you just 
you feel so healthy. You feel like you're really doing something great for your body. But you do have a lot of products. Would you like to talk a bit about the various products that you guys have beyond Hana One? If someone's at your website and they're exploring the various supplements that you guys have, how you might suggest a first-time consumer get started with your products? Well, the Hana One, it's pretty much a cornerstone product. Like I said, it's 30 herbs and honey, ghee, sesame oil, and it's, it's fantastic. There's nothing in there for taste. There's no emulsifiers or anything. So, you know, it's a pretty specific taste. That is the cornerstone. If you're taking any capsules or, or any other supplements, it's great to take them together with the Hana One because all of those healthy fats help the absorption. But I would, I mean, for somebody starting first time, definitely the Hana One taking two big tablespoons a day for the first two weeks so your body can sort of get used to it. And then I, I love the ashwagandha is very special. It's, it's a very specific type of ashwagandha from a certain part of India. So I usually, you know, do those two in the morning and then I take the ghee, there's the mature ghee. That's a, there's only 200 of those cows, the mature cows left in the world. And I had heard about these cows through our doctor in India. And a lot of the Ayurvedic doctors there were using these cows because they actually eat the herbs in their surroundings. And then that sort of like synthesizes in the body of these cows and gets into the milk and then gets into the ghee. And the ghee is supposedly very, very strong and healthy. So, you know, in our mission to sort of protect and to preserve these ancient medical traditions around the world, that was something I really latched on to. Now we own one of these like small cows and that ghee is very special. And so I, I usually try to get, you know, like a teaspoon of that, you know, in like a tea or a coffee every day. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a product that we just launched from Bhutan. I'll definitely get you a jar of that because we just got it to market. And it's real wild harvested uh, cordyceps with eight other herbs. And it's based on a like a 2,500-year-old recipe from the Himalayan book of medicine, which is called the Sovarigpa. And we've been working on this product now for almost two years. But I mean, it's definitely like, you know, 2,500 years in the making. And you got to tell um, me a bit more about this because I follow you guys on Instagram, Hana Living. And yeah. I see these incredible pictures in the Himalaya of people on their hands and knees picking these yeah. cordyceps. You got to tell me about this process. It looks so cool. Well, there's definitely a, right now we're living in a very interesting time, especially, you know, there's a huge buzz around the medicinal mushrooms. And there's definitely some discrepancies in the market because a lot of the mushrooms, well, basically pretty much every cordyceps that you're going to look online and you're going to find, they're grown in a laboratory. And there's whole industries built around these lab-grown mushrooms because obviously it's a multi-billion dollar market. They get PubMed articles, they get scientists and doctors to write about these mushrooms. But the reason why they're doing it in laboratories is because the real cordyceps are extremely rare. They cost about $10,000 a pound. Wow. And they only grow between 14 and 17,000 feet in the Himalayas. So like the upper Tibetan plateau and Bhutan is one of these places. Now, I've been taking cordyceps because I also was swindled reading all of this research and, you know, just taking it, but I never felt any difference. And so when we finally got to Bhutan, because that's one of the places that we're working with, I tried this product that they were working on at the Traditional Medicine Institute, which is now the Cordy Plus, the product that we just launched. And I was like absolutely blown away by the effects. I mean, you could feel it 
sort of instantly you get like this sort of, it's like a frequency oscillator, I call it. I just mm. feel more alive. And then in terms of sport, like I feel like I have like a small third lung when I take stuff regularly. I like um, the sound of that. You know, I, I've gotten into mountain yeah. climbing recently and as fit as I was or try to aspire to be, yeah, you know, you get to that 14, 15,000 foot barrier and it's just, it's a different level. You could be in a sub four minute mile shape and just, you know, kind of be spinning and, and throwing up at 15,000 feet. Is this something yeah. that could help me? You know, as I struggle above 15,000 feet, can the cordyceps help? Can the Hana one yeah. and some of your yeah. products help me push through that altitude barrier? Well, absolutely. And what's interesting about the cordyceps is the real cordyceps grow, like I said, between 14 and 17,000 feet. And it is very rich soil up there. I mean, you've seen some of the pictures. We were up there in May with Travis Rice and a few other people hunting for these cordyceps. And I don't know if there's science out there to back this, but I kind of like to use my logical sort of intuitive mind. And I feel that that something that is living and growing at that altitude is probably good for you when you're at altitude. Anything that can survive long-term above 14,000 feet has my respect. Right. Exactly. So, you know, what I've been doing is I'll take the, when I'm at altitude, I'll take the HANA one and the cordyceps together, Mm -hmm. which I just started doing because we've just gotten access to it. And just to give you an example, last year when I did the tour of the dragon bike race and I I was in very good shape, you know, the 268 kilometer race, I finished in 19 and a half hours and I didn't have access to the cordyceps at this time. So this year, I loaded up on the Cordyceps and the Hana One, and I finished the race in 15 hours and nine minutes. Wow. So I cut four and a half hours. Almost 25%. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, I definitely, it, there was a little bit, I had some uh, some slight mechanical issues the year before, so I wouldn't say all of that was because of you know the Cordyceps and the Hana One, but a, a huge portion of that was. I just felt like I had more like lung power. And, you know, my body was processing like the lactic acid and my VO2 max was definitely was spiked. Certainly. And, uh, you know, to all the listeners out there, you, you hear me saying similar things about run gum, but it's often the testimonies of our ambassadors and people who are out there using it day to day that really has the most powerful message. And, and a fellow friend, um, a mutual friend of, you know, Jimmy Chin, world-renowned mountaineer, yeah. he had some really nice yeah. things to say. He said, Hana Cordyceps is one of the few supplements I take every day to boost my stamina, energy, and mental focus. I love that it's a natural product and that I can actually feel the benefits. I mean, what better testimony can you get than Jimmy Chin? So I, that when I saw that, it just resonated so loud. And I said, okay, I, this is a product for me as I attempt to climb the world's highest peaks. Yes, well, definitely. And I used your run gum as well on the trail. And I had kind of forgotten about the effects, uh, you know, what a little bit of caffeine can do when you throw that into the mix. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's it a performance enhancing drug. The science, there's a lot of I science mean, to back that one up. But, you know, absolutely. it seems we both have been on this journey to, and it starts from necessity, doesn't it? To find these things that can give us a performance enhancing effect, a legal performance enhancing effect. And I think that right. our passion and our pursuit to do it right, to do it in conjunction with the training, you know, I think it's, we didn't take the shortcut, if you know what I mean. And we both participated yeah. in sports where a lot of people decided, hey, there are some shortcuts we can take. And, uh, you know, as a fellow athlete and entrepreneur, I just have a ton of respect for your dedication to the sport and to pursuing excellence, both in how you s- source your supplements and your ingredients and, and how you bring it to market and the people that you associate with. So for those listening, again, it's it's HANA. 
Hana Life is the website, Hana Living on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Joel Einhorn, man, you are just, you're a real go-getter. So what's next for you? I mean, you see, it seems like you're so busy. You have so many passions. What's next? I recently started surfing a lot. River and surfing I, I, or surfing surfing? Because I know you're no, up in the mountains a lot. Surfing surfing. I, okay. Actually, Jimmy Chin brought me down to Mexico and introduced me to this guy named Kale Carranza. Kale is an ex-pro surfer and just like one of the greatest humans I've ever met. And, you know, I was really, I'd surfed like my whole life, like here and there, but nobody, especially when you get out into the lineup, like nobody is kind of watching out for you. It's pretty much every man for themselves. Yeah. You know, as you get older, it's harder to find those mentors. And, you know, so Jimmy and Kale have kind of like taken me under their wing and, and also Travis, I've been surfing with Travis a little bit and, so yeah, I think that's kind of something I'm really focused on. It doesn't go well with cycling. It's pretty much like a teeter-totter. Yeah. You know, you get like a jacked upper body and then your legs <laughs> look like Giselle's forearms after a couple of weeks of uh, yeah. surfing. You know? Complimentary so like though, right? Have... Very complimentary. Yeah. If, you, if you were to mix and match days, you can get the, the full body workout that way. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm kind of like, it's for me right now, it's kind of like one or the other because it's just taking too much time. So I think surfing in terms of like personal stuff, personal sport, I'm really mm-hmm. loving it. It's like one of the most amazing things I've okay, ever done. Now, I tried to learn how to surf and I, I always called it controlled drowning. So I don't know if you, you're, you're probably, yeah. a, you're probably a lot more coordinated than I am, but when I'm out there, you know, it just feels so foreign. I grew up in Boise, Idaho in the Rocky mountains and I I'm enamored with the ocean. I respect it. But every time I'm out there, it just feels like it's trying to kill me. But I want to learn the rhythms of it. I want to learn that feeling of gliding along a wave. Are you there yet? You know, are, did, are yeah. you still drowning like I am out there? No, I've just gotten to that point where I'm riding down the line of the wave and watching it wall up. And I got to say, it's just one of the most beautiful things. I had the immense pleasure of meeting Jerry Lopez, who is basically the godfather, the Yoda of modern surfing. And mm-hmm. I met him in Bend a couple of weeks ago, and, and his line was, surfing is one sport where you pay the bill before you eat your meal. 100%. Yeah, I believe so, it. Yeah. I believe it. I mean, I'm, I've experienced it. Yeah. Go down to uh, Sayulita, and he's the man. Like, he is, a, you know, he'll take you under his wing. He, he'll start you at the beginning from even, like, how to strap the board to your foot. And yeah. He's, there's a couple of little things that you learn and, you know, it's like you said, controlled drowning, but like you learn a couple of things and you figure it out. And basically then he teaches you how to sort of really feel comfortable out there in the lineup and how to not drown basically. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like anything, you know, it's that barrier to entry. It's, it's that you mentioned just strapping on the board. I remember my, one of my first times walking with a longboard and a big gust of wind, you know, blew it out of my hand and it side swept my leg. And I'm like, maybe this isn't for me, but it's, it's a similar with anything when you're walking into a gym and you feel uncomfortable because you don't know exactly what you're doing, or you're out at a track and you couldn't tell the difference between lane one and lane five. But I always encourage people when they're trying something new, Find a mentor. It cuts your learning time, the learning curve, you know, in half. There's just so many little tips and tricks to learning a new skill. Yeah. So it sounds like you've yeah. definitely got a, got your hand on that. Hey, Joel, man, I, I just want to thank you again for your time. And I'm volunteering my labor. The next time you're going out to Bhutan, <laughs> I will come out there on my hands and knees and pick cordyceps till my fingers are raw. I just, uh, the, you got to get, uh, the listeners, you got to check this out. Hana Living on Instagram and Twitter. And it just looks like you guys are having so much fun out there. Yeah, man. And Nick, thank you very much for for what you're doing and uh, really appreciate the chat. And we're organizing a trip, I think, in May. 
So if any of the listeners are interested in going, we're going to put together a pretty tight little group of people to go out there and do a traditional traditional medicine tour and, and learn all about that and then potentially go on a mission way up into the Himalayas. So there will be some more information on that release, but we'd love to have you out there. For sure. Can we sign up for updates at Hana Life? Yeah, so it's H-A-N-A-H life.com and there's a you can subscribe to the newsletter and then we'll be releasing that information as it becomes available very cool hey joel thank you so much for your time good luck out in that lineup and i hope our paths cross soon (laughs) awesome man thanks nick talk soon a big thank you to everyone for joining us on that episode if you want to find out more or listen to other episodes go to rungum.com slash podcast also please make sure to subscribe on itunes or your preferred player I'm Nick Simmons, and you've been listening to the Run the Day podcast. Until next time.